This is the Coast and Country download from the BBC. You can find the terms and conditions on our website at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash radio 4. Today you can hear Open Country with me, Helen Mark. I'm in Rest Park, which is a country estate in Bedfordshire, and I'm walking along this broad path which leads away from the great house behind me, down through the gardens, past Grecian statues and a fountain, heading towards a very ornate building in the far distance. It's really beautiful. And I've come here to find out about a man who in the 18th century transformed the landscapes around great country houses like this and created a vision of what we have come to recognise as natural countryside. I'm referring to Lancelot Capability Brown. We've come down to a part of the estate where there is like a serpentine river. It sweeps round from one side, it broadens here, then narrows and then disappears. Well, it disappears under the ground there, under a great well of stones. And I'm with Carol Evans, you're the director of the Capability Brown Festival, which is running all this year. This is very Capability Brown, isn't it, the way he's used water like this? Absolutely. Uh, Capability Brown's known as being a landscape architect, but he was actually a fantastic water engineer as well. So he created wonderful, very naturalistic looking lakes and ponds and streams um, that often looked like rivers, but very often just finished around the corner. Um, so you thought you had a lovely river, um, but very often they were also then draining the marshland. So it became better for growing crops on or therefore being able to have sheep or cows on it as well. He was, though, working in the grandest of places, like here at Rest Park, but many, many others. Absolutely. Brown worked for a huge client list, um, and he included the King, six Prime Ministers and half the House of Lords in his actual client book. And so he worked or advised on around 250 sites across England and a few in Wales as well. Basically, if you think of any really famous English country house, he's quite likely to have had something to do with it. So Blenheim Palace, Chatsworth, Highclere, aka Downton Abbey, huge, hugely important places in the 18th century in terms of politics and society. And all of these houses and all the people who lived in them wanted to commission Brown to help create a landscape that was stamping their identity of, in effect, a new Britain. Because at the time, Britain was quite a new concept. Um, really, Scotland had only just become part of of Great Britain. And so it very much is a statement of confidence. We've got the money to spend on this. And we're quite political, we're quite in power. We're cutting-edge fashion, quite frankly, and we are showing it and we're spending money on it. And it was on full show for everybody in a garden that was created by Capability Brown. Capability... That's interesting, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> so he was christened that. No, no, no. He was he was christened quite unusually in itself, Lancelot Brown, and his nickname was Capability. And we think it's from his habit of going round doing this tour of the estate with the owner and telling them, pretty much as a sales pitch, as many other things, that it had great capabilities, and it seems to have stuck. The only thing is, we don't know if anyone ever called him that to his face, or whether it was a slightly rude nickname from slightly posher people taking the Mickey a bit. But in all the records, he's always referred to as. Mr. Brown. What did he do that was so radically different and how did he manage to change people's minds to look at landscape in a very, very different way? 
Brown was known as a visionary or a vandal. He, um, in some cases, swept away former gardens, very French-style gardens, very neat, very tidy, and replaced them with this much more relaxed English style. But he also, in some cases, got rid of villages, got rid of churches, and built up very, very different, very, very naturalistic-looking landscapes, which replaced very, very former ones that had come before. And that involved physically sculpting the landscape? Basically, um, you had men, shovels, very often wooden shovels, not even metal ones, uh, horses and carts. And with this literally manpower, they moved tonnes of earth. Um, They created hills, they dug to create lakes and rivers and ponds, and actually created an undulation in the landscape where previously it was often been quite flat. So we might look upon them as natural, but actually, like like many of our landscapes across all of the country, they are man-made. They are probably, you can consider them to be as man-made as the houses they actually frame. Rest Park, though, is slightly different. The interesting thing about Rest Park is that Brown wasn't given full freedom of expression here. So he was commissioned by uh, the Marchioness Jemima, who was a very strong, very powerful woman in her time and had very firm ideas about what she actually wanted Brown to do. So they kept the previous generation's very formal gardens and worked around the edges and softened them. So where they had straight-edged canals, they now have serpentine lakes surrounding it. And so basically it's um, an interesting combination of different generations respecting their predecessors gardens and landscapes so as you leave the front of the house and come through the the parterres and all the little formal things and then it it transforms actually you're seeing how brown moved the landscape from one shape and contour to something very different absolutely it sort of feels as if you're working further away from the house and gradually the landscape is relaxing as it becomes more naturalistic so here we are in rest park and the head gardener here is andrew turvey he must feel quite a responsibility on his hands, particularly this year, to make sure he, you know, recognises everything that Capability Brown did here. <laughs> Should we go and find Andrew? So I followed the serpentine waterway here, Andrew, and then it just suddenly stops. There's a great cluster of stones at the very end. Just explain how this is part of a Capability Brown design he visited in an over a number of uh, years but started in 1758 so 1758 1759 and 1760 this area has changed since brown was here but his original intention the area we stand in is now called the bathhouse and was a nursery ground for the house so we're we're stood behind the house uh, effectively where the house would have sat and um, it was an area that was very wet so he actually drains the land he captures at least three or four springs in this area to be as a source of water to feed all his what we now refer to as river rest park these canal network that runs around and deformalizing the canals into this serpentine and when you think about his style i mean obviously we're here at rest park and you, you you've got that in your mind but as as a gardener what what was he doing with his architecture of the land i think it's very much that he's actually creating nature and i think that's what's so clever about it you don't really notice what he's done and particularly at rest like you would just think it's a river running round the outside of the park and it's very natural and very informal but what he's done underneath is actually the hydrology and how he's made water travel around the grounds in such an, uh, an astonishing way and you're uncovering that yeah so w- where we are now at the bathhouse we've actually revealed the water a year ago it was just reeds and um and a, a terrible weed called equisetum so this time last year someone tried to walk across it it was so impenetrable and now three months later after the project we're looking at grass and a beautiful water should we climb 
over the cluster of stones and round to the bathhouse on the other side, which is a, a strange construction of stones set in, in, in great arches. You can see the, yeah, I can see the bit they would dip into. Exactly. Then a changing house behind it, which is thatched. Yeah, so the bathhouse comes along 10 years after Brown has completed his work. So it's um, designed by Edward Stevens. And at the same time, there's this, what we refer to as Brown Monument, is placed in this same location. So you can see how much um, the family thought about Brown and particularly Brown in this area, how he had drained this area. So when Brown went to redesign a landscape, what skills was he bringing to bear? Well, I, I think we all think that it's about the landscape, but it is very much for rest in particular. It's this hydrology. The family needed someone that could work with water. And this is at a time when they didn't even know where ground moisture came from. So the, the, they had no idea that water would be rising through aquifers. And it was a real a change of time. So they were trying to take studies from other areas. So he did a lot of work in draining the fens and things. He went and observed that and then incorporated that into the landscape. So this is, I think, for me, the thing that I noticed about Brown is how he controlled water and it's something that today everyone is scared of because water features never quite work and we're three well 250 years later and the water to a degree if we managed it better would be working as he intended and when you're thinking about his work Andrew and you are physically working on it yeah. what goes through your mind amazement really how he can be planning like I try to plan a year, two years, and obviously 20 years in the future. But what we're looking at is 250 years later at the work that's coming to maturity. It's, I wish I could think like that. Oh, you really do respect him. Very much. I think all of garden history, but particularly Brownie, just, I think he's, he inspires a lot of people. And um, that's a great thing for us to be celebrating 300 years of his birth. We've come to the point in the garden where they have this memorial to Capability Brown and it's a tall pillar with ornamentation on the top and then written on the side here, these gardens originally laid out by Henry Duke of Kent but down towards the bottom they say with the professional assistance of Lancelot Brown. Yeah, and then it dates his visits, 58, 59 and 60. Dr Oliver Cox, you're a historian and a member of the Faculty of History at... University of Oxford. Do you admire him? Ultimately he's the greatest salesman that God ever put breath into and I think that's because he was able to pitch and sell a landscape that often his clients wouldn't see realised in their own lifetimes or their children's lifetimes or maybe even their grandchildren's lifetimes. So you know if he's going on Dragon's Den he's pitching an investment that you know frankly could take anything up to 70, 80, 100 years to really bear fruit. So you admire this great landscape architect for his business skills? I think this is a really interesting area of research into Brown. Is actually, he's yes, he's a visionary. Yes, he's fantastic in terms of understanding how to lay out a landscape. But I think what marks him out from other landscapers in the 18th century is his ability to deliver these vast, vast projects. So he's... To my mind, more of an entrepreneur along the lines of James Dyson or Richard Branson rather than a Jeremy Della. Because if we look at the couple of account books of his that we have, over a 20-year period, 20-25-year period, he's, he's handling over £700 million worth of contracts. So we're talking vast sums of money that Brown is sort of operating with, if you like. 
He's one of the earliest sort of branded individuals. You're buying in the Capability Brown brand. He's a Starkitect, really. It's like getting, say, the Lazaha Hadid in or Frank Geary, someone like that. You want to get Brown in because you can show off to your neighbours at dinner that guess who I had round the other day? You can see how his reputation would spread because of that in terms of almost not one-upmanship, but... Well, it would be a it little is, bit, yeah, wouldn't no, it? It is. It's sort of it, it. It's keeping up with the Joneses, almost, isn't it? And if you can pull out capability, Brown, he's kind of your trump card, and that's where Brown is so successful in terms of the way in which he almost creates a series of angel investors, if you like, which is the collection of people that gravitate around Stowe and Lord Cobham, and out of that initial circle of investors, he's able to spread his business wider and wider and wider. So he's he knows how to play the aristocracy. But also, crucially, he knows how to deliver the product that they want. But Brown doesn't just create landscapes, he creates the buildings to go in them. He thinks about how you can engineer the water. He thinks about the connection to the wider estate. So with Brown, you, you buy the complete package or you can buy a little snippet of the package. So that's where he's really, really clever. He calibrates the projects that he works on to the purse of the patron. That is very clever. And again, I think Brown's, Brown's success is that he can operate on the grandest scale, but also the smallest scale. And he has the capabilities of employing a whole variety of different subcontractors to make things happen and make things happen efficiently and effectively. Because of all the contracts that he was doing, he couldn't possibly have been the main man on every one of them. Exactly, and that's what we see, is we see him sort of developing a series of sort of trusted foremen, if you like, that will move from one site to the next, to the next, to the next. So the story of how this is, you know, these landscapes are created, to my mind at least, this is the sort of foundation of huge sort of civil engineering. So this is sort of setting the trend for canals through to the railways, through to even, if you like, motorways today, because we're dealing with the same thing of how do you create a landscape that's both beautiful and useful. What places come to mind when you think about him, that he was at work? Brown is working at some of the, you know, those instantly recognisable 18th century country houses or country houses we visit today. You know, he's working at Chatsworth, he's working at Blenheim, he's working at Stowe, he's working at Highclere Castle, now everybody knows as Downton Abbey. And these big headline showpiece commissions means that he's earning a vast amount of money so that by the middle of his career, he buys the manor of Fen Stanton out in Cambridgeshire for roughly £20 million in today's money. He had a long career, 40 years. His success comes from being very, very, very good at what he does. You know, there is no inherited wealth here. Brown is a self-made man, and it's that self-made sort of connections that he makes as well he'd network you very very well at a drinks party you know brown would have your number he'd have your card and he'd be in touch the next day i've come from rest park to about 10 miles or so northwest of cambridge and i'm in the village of fenstanton and i've come here to meet linda simons and nigel ferrier who are the co-founders of fringe in the fens and you're living in property that was owned exactly. by Capability Brown, Linda. Yes, yeah. we are. And I think um, we moved here and we feel like custodians of the property, custodians of, you know, Capability Brown, the Manor House, etc. And the way that Fringe in the Fen evolved is 
that we had a couple of bottles of wine one weekend and we were going to do a music festival. Um, we are actually going to do a concert to start with, weren't we? Yeah, we were going to do over, a concert. Over the couple of bottles of wine, it turned into a weeks-long festival. It t- long story short, turned into yeah. a week-long music festival with the sole aim of raising money for Macmillan Cancer Support. This is our third festival this year. And the theme, you took Capability Brown. Exactly. Because of, its exactly. Because of the 300 years yeah. kind of anniversary yes, of and the fact Brown, we thought it was a great time to do it. Yeah. But, but you're living in part of his life. Yes. So yes. what is that story? How is it that he came to buy Fenstanton and what did he buy? So it goes back to 1767 when Brown was actually owed a lot of money by the Earl of Northampton. Uh, about £13,000, which we think is about the equivalent of about £5 million today. And he, the, the Earl was actually funding his political career and was trying to offload some of his kind of property. So a deal was struck where part of the money that Brown was owed was actually changed for the parish of Fenstanton and Hilton. And this was the first land that Brown ever owned. Although he worked on phenomenal estates all around the country, he never actually owned any land himself. So here he was with the landowner with umpteen properties, which he rented out, but he retained this house, the manor house in Fenstanton, which we believe almost for his, like his parish office. So when he was visiting his estate, this is where he did his business. But it's not the house that he was intending to retire to, we believe, because Fensanta Manor, which is a grander house than ours, in the same village, was part of the Manor Farm estate. And the plans that were drawn up in 1777, I think it was, indicated that the vision and the vista that he wanted for his own estate was centred on another property, not this one. And where we're standing now, Mm -hmm. we're underneath an apple tree in, in the midst of fabulous garden. And you wanted to come here particularly, Nigel? Well, no, because I think these trees... I mean, I, I'm not a historian, but, but people with a, more knowledge than myself are, are indicating that these trees could well have date from the 300 years ago when Brown planted them, because certainly we have a receipt for the purchase of apple trees by Mr Brown in 1777, I think it was, uh, for, you know, for his own garden. And uh, that was from a local uh, nursery in Maddingley. And... Uh, people that know more about than I do reckon these trees could well be the trees that he planted. You didn't come here with the intention of being part of the Capability Brown story, did you? It was a happenstance thing. Absolutely not. No, we didn't. I think we've grown to really quite like Capability Brown. I think what I like about it is the fact that how did he ride all those miles from one property to another? I mean, how did he get his post delivered? Yeah, he had an arrangement with the post office where he used to give the post office his itinerary and when the post came into the central sorting office, they would work out where he was going to be and they would post the post on to. So when he arrived at, I don't know, Annick or somewhere, his post was waiting for him. Also, the other thing that I always think is that A, his wife must have been on her own quite a lot, and B, he never actually saw the properties that he landscaped come to fruition because they must have planted a lot of twigs. Well... Isn't that the whole point and the fascinating thing about what he did was he stopped people looking at their gardens for what they would be in that particular moment or that season and he introduced the idea of of a legacy in the landscape. That's what's, I think, very intriguing. Was he he a visionary or a vandal? 
well. because was he actually ruining the English countryside mm-hmm. in its normal state and creating his vision for it? Because what we see now, which we all love as being English parkland, was his vision for it, not necessarily what nature's vision for it. I mean, I love what he did, and I think he was incredible from a point of view of he was a, you know, he was an engineer, he was an architect, he was a landscape gardener, you know, he was a multi-talented individual without a doubt. But it's absolutely right. But he also must have been an extremely good salesman yeah. <laughs> to sell yes. to sell these landscapes to people for you know the equivalent of five billion pounds today or whatever the figure was, you know, when they really they were never going to see it in their lifetime. He chose then, I think, to be buried here. In Fenstanton, yes, in the parish is. church. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yes, he is. Yeah, he was brought here. For, he died in London, and then he was brought here to bury. And, and all his family are buried here. As there's well. also a monument in the. There's a monument church, in the church it? as well. I'm in the graveyard which surrounds the parish church of Fenstanton. And of course, we're drawn towards the headstone which is here, Lancelot Brown, and then in brackets, capability, Lord of the Manor of Fenstanton, 1767 to 1783. And there it just stands, almost against the wall of the church here. And I'm with Graham Ross, who's the artistic director of Fringe in the Fen, and you're the director of music at Clare College, Cambridge. So, as part of that, Graham, you have been commissioned to write a piece to be part of this tercentenary anniversary. That's right, yep. So I have just finished a violin concerto. And it's a concerto for violin and for chamber orchestra, scored roughly for the same forces as Vaughan Williams' The Lark Ascending, that beautiful piece also for violin solo, which depicts the sound world, if you like, of a lark, which of course is a, a bird now that we don't hear in these beautiful surroundings. And my piece has a, a similarity to that in that it charts the story of a tree, as told by John Clare, the poet. And my piece, called The Fallen Elm, uh, is representing this beautiful tree that John Clare was so passionate about, as passionate about his tree as Capability Brown was about his gardens. And in the end, mankind comes and fells the tree in order to make land more usable for people. And it charts the sad story of this tree trying to fight against humanity and eventually failing. And were you thinking about Capability Brown as you were constructing this Certainly he was in my thoughts. I mean, this year's festival, which, which I'm directing, as you say, is very much centred around Capability Brown and everything that he represents. So that's to say beautiful pastures, beautiful landscapes, nature, animals, uh, everything that relates to the kind of the beauty of our particularly English countryside. He did manipulate the landscapes around these great country estates. And, and, and at first I thought this is only just going to be for those you know, the landed gentry, the the very few. But the lives we lead now, we have access to these places and we can experience the sight of Capability Brown and and now hear it in, in sound through music. It's yeah. a lovely thought, that. It's true, it's absolutely right. And, you know, within this festival, which has been deliberately aimed at... at 
making itself accessible to complete wide-ranging audiences. You know, we had all the children from the local primary school in here doing a whole project about uh, insects and bees, and they performed right next to the to the tombstone of Capability Brown. And just here next to us, this gravestone is exactly where they've seen it. And as you say, it's it's a living, breathing part of our life. It's not a museum piece. And you know, uh, Linda and Nigel, they they live in Fensanton in Capability Brown's house, and that's where we we run the festival kind of HQ from. So we're very much connected within it. And I think it's also worth remembering that you know, of all these amazing gardens that he designed, something like just under 300 gardens of some very famous ones, you know, Burley and Stowe and Chatsworth, all those wonderful places. Fenstanton was the only place he actually owned land. And so this feels very much like you're in his home. You know, you're in the environment that was very personal to him. And I think that's a, that's a particularly special thing to be able to perform this music here in this venue. Considering all I've heard about Capability Brown and the impact that he had upon the landscape, as I stand at this headstone, this short poem I think is quite appropriate. It was written anonymously in 1767. Born to grace nature and her works complete, with all that's beautiful, sublime and great, for him each muse enwreathes the laurel crown and consecrates to fame immortal brown. <laughs> 